do I trust God? Why do I trust God? Why don't I trust God? Trusting each other in the church and then racial yeah. issues around trust. I think that's, I think we're on to something there. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Founder and Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Co-Pastor at Garden City Church and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. So welcome everyone to another episode of The Intersection. And with me, as always, are my two friends, my two brothers, two partners in this adventure with um, Pastor Jeff Bogue. He is the senior pastor of Grace Church of Greater Akron and also Bishop Joey Johnson, founder and senior pastor over the House of the Lord. How are we doing this afternoon, brothers? Good. Good to see you, man. Outstanding. Better than the Internet. There you go. Yeah, we, we, hey, we'll let everybody know right now we're having some internet technical issues, but it's going to be all good. So today, and, and here's the thing, the day is the day that we have a guest that we're having all these issues. So this could be because of our guests that these things are happening. I take no ownership in this. I believe it's because of our guests, but I'm not going to introduce our guest, Bishop Johnson. If you can introduce who, who has ventured to be in this in this arena with us. Who, who would you invite today? Well, uh, we invited uh, Dr. Dan Hawk, who is the professor of Old Testament at Ashland Theological Seminary. He's done some outstanding work um, in the Af- in the, uh, with us in the African-American community and our various forms that we've had, and also with American Indians. And so he comes well qualified to interact with us today. Brother Dan, we're glad to have you on. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and, and uh, y'all need to pray harder. <laughs> I'm the cause. <laughs> well, just to kind of get you caught up here, Dr. Hawk, is, you know, we've been talking about, man, how do we see Jesus in a more unified way here in the body of Christ? And last episode, we left off with, man, we have to start understanding, in order for us to do this, we have to be able to see Jesus in a more unified way, but we have to look at trust and love. And how do these two words, these two concepts come into us seeing him in a more unified way? And I just want to read one of the quotes that Bishop Johnson said before we got off. He said, it's not about the love of power, but it's about the power of love. And that's what brings us to see him in a more unified way. So Hey, I'm going to start with you right off top, top here, Dr. Hawk. When, when you think about the power of love versus the love of power, what, how does that hinder us and help us to see Jesus in a more unified way? Hmm. Well, I think when you're talking about the power of love, you're talking ultimately about the power of relationship. 
the power of connecting with each other, uh, appreciating the, the beauty and the dignity of each other and, and uh, appreciating one another as fellow sisters and brothers in the body of Christ. Mm. Um, when you're talking about the, the love of power, you're talking about something that works against, I think, would be diametrically opposed to that, that bonding, uh, binding power of, of love. A love of power wants to draw people into my control and into my orbit, sees people and, and institutions as just mechanisms to fulfill my own purposes, my own will. And um, when I'm, I'm giving myself to the power of love, I'm giving myself up to, to the Savior to work through me in the fullness of his love and, and to create bridges rather than burning them. Mm. Man, that's good. Welcome. <laughs> that out of the gate. All right. All right. Well, I didn't know it was going to hit. Yeah, hit right <laughs> off. I thought I was going to be able to lurk for a while. No, 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 no. You pass the test, man. This is an initiation <laughs> process here now. Okay. You just ain't going to come and sit and be a spectator. We're going we're gonna to throw you off the deep end as soon as you come on. So we oh, man. appreciate that. Well, just like to quote, to quote John Lennon, um, you know, I hope I'll pass the audition. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Bishop Johnson, you said the quote last week, and you really encouraged us to, to say, hey, we have to look and see what role does trust and love play. When you're saying that, what, what, what are you trying to get us to, what are you trying to bring out here in that discussion as we look at trust and love? Well, trust is, um, is important to any healthy, productive relationship. You have to have some measure of trust. Unfortunately, in America, we don't hardly trust anyone. And the people that we do trust, we probably shouldn't trust. And the people we ought to trust, we seem like we can't trust. So we need at some point to have a discussion about what trust is and what elements uh, of uh, or qualifications or qualities there are that uh, are the basis of trust. I, I'll start off with this. I believe we can trust God. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good place to start. Then we start to come down into our churches and we start to have major issues. And a lot of them have to do with we are an inability to trust one another or to even know what trust is about. You know, I, I love what you're saying there, Joey, that the because the, um, I agree with you that we have trouble trusting each other. I, I often have said over the years, like, I don't always understand God. In fact, I often don't understand God, but I choose to trust him. And so uh, I think our relationship is with God is built off of that. I often also say if I could reach into somebody's brain and make them believe something, it would be that uh, God loves them and has their best interest in mind. And if we could have that, that basic trust of God, it would change our perception of him completely. Now, what I find fascinating, just kind of building off of what you said, was it's, it's our, our inability to trust each other. You said we trust people that we shouldn't and we can't trust people that we ought to be able to trust. All of those broken relationships deeply affect our trust of God. And so I, I should be able to trust my father, but when he hurts me, wounds me, abandons me, 
I perceive God as somebody who may hurt, wound, or abandon me, right? I should be able to trust my pastor, uh, but when he turns out to be self-centered or a hypocrite or a liar, then I, I'll, it taints my view of God. And so that all of that works against each other, that breaks down our relationships with each other and, and because that trust is eroded all the way through it. And it's a, it is devastating to our relationships and it's devastating to our relationship with God and our relationships with each other for sure. Yeah, I tend to think about um, going back to, I believe it was um, Joshua, right? In the first chapter and God kind of gets ready to commission him. And God tells him the same thing, if you will, three different times. But the last thing he says is, have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage, right? Which God is pretty much saying, hey, I just need you to trust me in this. Like, you're going to lead these people. You're going to take them over into the promised land. But I need you to trust me that I'm going to be with you, that I'm never going to leave nor forsake you. And I think that plays a role in what both of you are saying about, hey, my ability to be able to trust God really coincides with my ability to be able to trust people or learning that I haven't been able to trust people. And now here goes um, Joshua, if you will, who's taken over from Moses, who has seen the highs and the lows of Moses's leadership, right? Like he's, he's trying to lead a stiff neck group of people, <laughs> if you will, right? Which probably has hindered him, meaning Moses a little bit, but also has played an effect or played a role in how Joshua will probably even trust the people that he's going to be leading. So I find it very important that God has to tell him before he sends him out, hey, listen, have I not commanded you to be strong and very courageous and do not be afraid? I need you to trust in this, right? Because there's things that are going to happen that are going to come up that, man, you're going to have to remember this. So I I love the where we're going as far as how how a distrust for an individual leads to us probably not trusting him, trusting God as much as we need to. And so I think that's a very powerful statement to go into. And, and so, Dr. Hawk, I want to get your perspective in that as well. Well, we all know that trust is uh, developed via relationship. Uh, very few of us kind of begin with this uh, when we meet anybody. We just begin by saying, well, I'm, I'm going to just going to go ahead and trust. Trust is something that develops, at least in my experience, over the course of time as we learn about each other, as we learn about each other, as we learn how to walk together. Um, it's hard won and it's easily lost. Yeah. Uh, so uh, think about think about the story of Abraham and Sarah in in the Old Testament. God calls Abram, and uh, Abram really doesn't know who this God is, other than this God has given him a promise, given him a command, and and the amazing thing is, he decides to he decides to go with it. He he, he decides to say yes, yeah. but when you read the story of Abraham over the course of the ensuing chapters, you really see, you see this give and take between him and God, where God is disclosing just a little bit more of who God is. And Abram is, is, is kind of developing in his faith and trust 
uh, so that by the end, he goes deep with God and, and God trusts him. I mean, it's, it's, so the trust goes in a sense, both ways. So, uh, so I, I, I bring that up just to, just to illustrate. Sometimes we, we just think we have to, we, we have to jump right off and, and trust apart from experience and relationship. Um, we need to have experience. I mean, we're human. We need to have an experience of each other uh, to develop trust. So one of the questions I would ask coming back is, can you love and not trust? What's the relationship between love and trust? Did Jesus love you. and trust? No, no, that, that's great because that was where I was going to go next, but you went there. So that's great. Everything yes. is lining up, right? So can, can you love and not trust? That, that's the question that we're posing right now, right? Can you have trust and not love, but can you love someone and not trust them? I would say yes. I think I can love someone, but not trust them. Or what I like to say is I trust you to be who, you're, who you are. So if you show me that, man, you are manipulative, um, a liar, and a robber, I trust that you're going to be that. <laughs> That's what I trust in you. I trust at some point in our relationship, you're probably going to lie to me, you're probably going to take from me, um, and you're probably going to find some way to manipulate me. I trust that. And it all goes back to relationships. So for me, I look at trust as I'm trusting you to be who you're telling me that you are by your actions. Yeah, when when I think about that question, I I I think about de depends on how you define love, and probably the depth of it. And so the, you know, the when Jesus says we're to love our enemies, I'm like I can love an enemy and not not trust an enemy, uh, but can I love my wife and not trust her? I. I can love her to a degree, so to say, or to a depth, but am I going to have intimacy and closeness and oneness with her when, when trust is broken down? So I, I'm not sure, quite sure how to say that, but somehow that would like factor into that. It's almost like a depth of what you mean by love. I, I think another uh, question that I would pose with it is, can I help you to love someone if you don't trust me. So um, like when we, when we talk about uh, viewing Jesus in a, in a unified way, I don't know, I don't know another solution to uh, racial reconciliation than to look at Jesus instead of each other. Right. So when I, when I, when the white the white church tries to get the black church to trust the Jesus as we interpret him with all the pain that the white church has caused into the black community. They're going to look at me and say, why would I trust your God? Your, the God that you proclaimed is the one that your uh, ancestors justified to keep me in slavery. Or if I was the, uh, the Native American church, I would be like, you use religious things to deceive us or to oppress us. Why would I trust that? So like looking, and you could, you could run that a thousand different ways. So if we look at like your presentation of God versus your presentation of God, we can't because of all these wounds and lies and all the sin and all the rest. I don't trust what you're saying. But if you look at God and I look at God, then 
and I'm looking at him biblically, you know, through the through the lenses of scripture, and I'm loving God and you're loving God, somewhere in there, that's the solution of our relationship with each other. So if I said, if I looked at like in a racial divide, if I said, I'm not sure I trust you because you're you've been historically my enemy or I perceive you that way, but I'm willing to love you enough to look at God with you. And as as we draw closer to who Christ really is, our love deepens, so to say. Um, I think that plays out differently, right? But if I'm over here saying, uh, historically, my people or my religion or my denominational stripe did these things, you should trust me. I would look and say, why would I trust you? Like you abuse these things in my life. And so when we we talk about like, how do we view Jesus in a unified way? I'm like, somehow it's got to, you almost have to get over or love through the wounds to build the relational trust, to have a deep intimacy with each other. That makes, I kind of made all that up on top of my head. So it, it may not make a lot of sense. I just kind of wrestling with it out loud. No, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense um, because I, I go back to, you know, if we look at this from a standpoint, let's use, let's continue to use the word reconciliation, right? This is what marriage couples do all the time. You get one spouse who may have done something to hurt or afflict the other, and that's going to take time, but I still love them. I may not trust them, right, because you did something to... Um, you did something to that dishonored that trust, but Hey, we'll go to counseling. I'm willing to do the work. And and that's what you're getting to pastor Jeff. You're saying, Hey, do I love you enough to do the work? Right. That's that's essentially, that's what you're saying. And and that's what each couple that goes through marriage counseling, you go to marriage, marriage therapy, whatever you want to call it. And one spouse whether it's, man, they, they, they commit infidelity or whatever it is they do. Now the question becomes, do I love you enough to try to rebuild or to repair the trust, even though you've hurt me? Yeah. So I love you enough to venture to some of these places together because I know what's there. And that goes back to when you look at two individuals that are in the body, what, what we've been taught in scripture is just what you said, pastor. It's, you know, how do we, you know, yeah, I need to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, my soul, and strength, but also I got to be able to love my neighbor as themselves, right, as much as I do myself, and so do I love Dr. Hawk enough, Pastor Jeff Bogue enough to say, yeah, man, I'm, I'm willing to walk this line with you, right, but don't use the word and tell me, oh, man, get over it, right, because the husband that tells the wife or the spouse that tells the other spouse, hey, you need to get over what I did. Well, that ain't going to go too far, right? But I'm willing to listen and to hear you and to hear the hurt that that was associated from that. I'm open to listening to that and working through that together so that we can help to repair or rebuild that trust. Now, I'm hearing what you're putting down, brother, and it makes sense because I think there's got to be a start. I think if we're really going to do this thing and do racial reconciliation, and do it the way that it needs to be done. Yeah, we have to meet each other in our pain and in our hurt. 
in order for healing to happen. Yeah, I really like where y'all are going. Let me, if I may, I've been thinking as you're talking about another way to, to illustrate this. So um, suppose you're a, a, you know, in elementary school and, you know, you've got a bully who beats on you, uh, abuses you, insults you, makes your life miserable, uh, you know, and, at every opportunity. And you get into middle school and he starts to back off a little bit. You'd say, all right, that's, that, that, that's good. Uh, and then he comes to you, you know, and you're in high school. He says, hey, um, let's be friends. I'm going to suggest right off the bat, if it was me, I'd have some trust issues. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, particularly, and particularly if you said, hey, um, yeah, I just want to be friends. And, and I said, well, you know, we got some things to work through. And then, then he says to me, well, you know, let's pass this past. Let's start over. You know, put it all behind you. Let's just put it all behind you and let's move forward. You know, I, you know, I, I wonder, I, I think you'd excuse me for saying, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, but I need, I need to see, uh, I need to see some things from you and it's not going to happen right now. And it's probably not going to happen over the course of time. Um, you need to earn my trust uh, because that, that, that trust was broken. And so you know, as we're speaking to this issue, that's, and as the two of you were speaking and I'm connecting with you, uh, that's how I was thinking about it. And I was also thinking about, you know, John saying, and I, I appreciate that, you know, we need to look to Jesus, but where we need to see Jesus, I would suggest is in each other. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, John says, how can you love God whom you do not see? If you do not love your brother and sister, whom you do see. And I think, I think that's the impulse of loving your neighbor, loving God by loving your neighbor. We need to be able to see the love of God manifested in, in the way that, that we do the hard work that you were talking about. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And the, I, I think the, the tension with, with that is, we're always going to see God as a dim reflection or distorted reflection through ourselves. And so I, there, there's this, um, there's this tendency to say, if we loved each other perfectly, then there would be this restoration. And I, I would push back uh, against that idea and say, I, I think perfect love is not perfect relationship. So the, the, I love your analogy, the bully has to change and the one who was bullied has to be willing to uh, open themselves up to the risk of the relationship. And, and that bully's not gonna get it right neither. And the, he's not gonna get the change right and he's not gonna get the forgiveness right. And somehow responding to Christ trumps both of those things. And, and so you keep pushing toward, toward each other. And the, the, I, don't, I don't know how we ever reconcile. I do not in any way think, uh, I don't believe that you can truly ask the forgiveness of someone 
whose pain you have not been willing to fully understand. So like, sorry, I was a racist. Like you, you didn't even apologize, right? So I, I think conversations like this and real friendships where um, you're, you're trying to see things and understand things, you're opening up to things. But I also, like when I do marriage counseling, I, I look at a couple and say, there's a point that you have to play hurt. Like that you cannot unwind years and years and years of pain. You can choose to move forward when you have really repented and apologized and empathized and you are actually willing to um, open your heart and take a risk, God can restore any relationship with, with those two factors. Um, and what I don't see personally, this is my observation, I don't see a, a true empathy and repentance oftentimes. That's the, well, we just move on. I, I didn't own slaves. Like, I'm like, you're not listening to your brothers and sisters or what they're trying to say and what, how they were hurt and how that shows up in them today and what they grew up with that you didn't grow up with that you're just blowing off somebody's pain. The other side of it is um, uh, almost you're not allowed to ever, like you're not allowed to ever make up for it. It's like, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And, and when those two sides lock up like that, you paralyze, I think everything. And I believe as Christ followers, um, seeking forgiveness and forgiving as you've been forgiven, I don't know another path to reconciliation um, or, or we're almost like talking about high ideals instead of like realities of, of relationship there. But I think a, a true empathy and a true willingness to restore somehow that breeds the trust that deepens the relationship um and that i guess that's that's what i think about that <laughs> right now as we're just talking about this in this relation in this context yeah i feel like um what you're saying is and i think that's where we land at there's an unwillingness for people to do the work yeah, like we want to move on without doing the work, essentially, like when you're not willing to see it from somebody else's perspective, you're not willing to empathize with them, you're not truly looking to really repent, then I would say is you're not willing to do the work. No different than somebody that says, hey, man, I want to lose weight. And I want to get in shape, right? But yet, so I, I don't, don't want to work personal, out. Kemp. Don't hey. get personal. <laughs> no, but really. I no, mean, you guys I, called me fat like two months ago. No, I no, still no, hurt. No. I've, I've been speaking of myself, right? Like I could want to lose weight, but, I, but do I have a willingness to do the sacrificial work that is going to take to heal my body and get my body more in shape? And, and I think that's what's going on right now. So let, let's just, let me just put this out on the table that when we talk about how do we see um, Jesus in a more unified way, we're talking about black and white brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And we kind of went through saying, hey, first of all, I think our first as we started the discussion, we said, well, hey, man, we got to first talk about how do we see Jesus? Because I don't see Jesus like you see Jesus, right? And we kind of worked through that. And so all the while, as we've been working through these discussions, we, we really are working through some of our own stuff. 
every time we show up here to do this, we're working through some of our own stuff to say, oh man, through this dialogue and through these relationships and these conversations, man, I'm getting a little bit more in touch, first of all, with how my brother's seeing Jesus, but also he's getting an understanding of how I'm seeing Jesus, which is us doing the work versus us saying, hey, let's just let's spiritually bypass and just say Jesus. If we can see Jesus, well, we just got to look to Jesus. Absolutely. But we have to identify what Jesus are we looking at and do I trust you and what you're saying, right, about this Jesus. So, Bishop, I want to bring you in, man, while, while, while we have you here to kind of, man, we've been, we've been moving and going and it's been good stuff. But we're just talking about this trust element. And one of the questions that came up, and I'm about to hit you with 500 questions, so you got to be ready, right? But one of the questions is, is that can we, can we trust, can we love without trust? Can we have that? Can we love without trust? Let me, let's just start there. Sure. Love, uh, dealing with, from a biblical perspective, the ability to uh, do for other folks what, what needs to be done, regardless of anything else that's going on. And agape love, the, the love of God, um, you can have that without trusting a person. Um, because trust re requires a relationship. Uh, I was going to say, I heard most of what you were saying, even though I was in and out that uh, trust is not perfect, uh, love is not perfect. And so one of the problems is we don't wanna do, you said the work, I don't think we wanna experience the pain. Yeah, Relationships yeah. require pain. Um, when we deal with Je Jesus or God, we're dealing with someone who is trustworthy whether we consider him so or not. And so therefore our trust is often based upon our relationship and whatever relationship we have to that pain. And so, that often blocks us. Uh, and it's, we're not talking about any realities here. We're talking about perceptions, people's yeah. perceptions, their experiences, their home of origin experiences, all of those things color their ability to have trust and love. Yeah. Well, hold on a second. You got to let me, D Dr. Hawk, listen, you, you're on here for the first time. You're going to notice these two seldom give me anything. Please <laughs> let me have the word. Because the pain is the work. We have to go through the pain. To <laughs> I, I, ain't, I ain't taking that away from you. Yeah, you got to do the work. Have it, please. It's, yeah, right, yeah. Right. You, you got that. You got that, Kim. The work, but it's repent. You got that. It's, and, you know, it's, we got, come on, man. Just give me. You got, you got that. You got that. But work, work just requires pain. That's all. That's right. If I want to get in shape, it's going to be some pain. I'm going to be sore in the morning. It's going to be some work. And Dr. Hawk was saying earlier, I did hear him say a little bit about this. Um, trust is built upon relationship and experiences. It's not out there ethereal somewhere. It's built upon what we've had, what we've interacted with. And a lot of folks in the church do not know how to do conflict resolution. So therefore their trust is destroyed because we don't even know how to talk to one another. Uh, let me ask you this, Bishop, while, you, while you're speaking that and talking about that relationship. And I know you have... Um, a lot that you have done with this. How, how, what does, how does grief play a role into that distrust? Well, once, is, you, once you get hurt and then that becomes a part of your frame of reference, it makes it very difficult to trust anybody when you haven't done your proper work. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think that's part of the problem. I don't think, I think we should have a discussion at some point of what, what is trust? We're talking about trust as if we know what it is and we agree. And I'm not sure we know what it is or that we agree. 
Um, but trust is the ability, in my opinion, to make yourself vulnerable to somebody for a particular act or gift on the basis of their uh, love, benevolence towards you, and, uh, and their faithfulness, their ability. So when you begin to define it that way, um, then you begin to see that some people aren't talking about trust, they're talking about expectations. You didn't do mm. what I wanted you to do. Mm. You didn't do what I thought you should do. Rather mm -hmm. than you were, you did what you promised you would do. So that's why my earlier statement, we trust people we shouldn't, people who didn't do what they said they were gonna do. And then sometimes we don't trust people who are eminently trustworthy like God, who always keeps his word, who always keeps his promises, who all, but I don't trust them because he didn't do what I thought, thought he should do. Mm. So let's stay there for a minute. I'm gonna ask Dr. Hawkins and Pastor Jeff Bo, what is how do you define trust? Let's stay in that. Let's stay in there for a second. Well, I like the way uh, Bishop defined it. Actually, I, this 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 idea of relational vulnerability, uh, I think, is really key. So, I mean, if you go all the way back to the creation story. Uh, Genesis chapter two, which talks about how human beings were created to live with each other. Um, right, right at the end of chapter two, we're told, and you know, and and the man and the woman were both naked, but were not ashamed. I mean, there was a there was a complete sense of which, you know, they saw each other completely and wholly and and without reserve. And, and they, were, they were unified, that what happens, as we all know, is that uh, you know, the first humans decide that they can do a better job of running the world than God. And the first thing they do when they transgress is that they, they cover themselves. Huh. You know, so, so I think, you know, so they wanna protect themselves. And so I, no. I would, from that perspective, what that that particular story teaches me is that you can also define we can also define trust by its opposite, which is my sense that I need to protect myself. I need to put things between me and you, so that you will not uh, hurt me or diminish me or or uh, take advantage of me. Um, and and that's that's what we're we're all caught in every human being around the world. And that's why you know, this, this, this hope that we have in Jesus Christ is our one and only true way forward in this. Uh, Pastor Jeff. I, I actually would be right in line with my brothers. I, I, I think it's the willingness to, um, to receive with vulnerability and to give without expectation, you know, it's, it's right. tied into that. And, and, um, uh, uh, Dr. Hawk brought up, uh, Genesis. I, my, actually my first book I wrote was called living naked. <laughs> and it, and it was that, uh, that whole, um, uh, imagery, like we, yeah. we cover ourselves up that when Adam and Eve lost their completeness and, God, we'd say Christ today, you know, in, in the New Testament, but when they, when they lost their identity and their completeness and their origin in him, shame was the very first thing that, that rushed in uh, when that relationship was broken and tainted by sin. And, um, and when, you, when you look at uh, 
racism, uh, power structure stuff, when you look at uh, uh, male chauvinism, those kind of things, shame is at the core uh, of all of that. When you look at legalism and abuses of religion and churches, shame is always at the core. It's a, it's a foundational thing in our life. And so the, the, just the idea that you'll love me because you love me, like, nah, nobody does that. You know, so that the receiving that pure love from God is very difficult for us because we don't know anything about pure love. I can't love you purely. You can't love me purely. I have conditions. You have conditions. Our conditions can be lower because we're friends. Uh, but if Bishop punched my wife in her nose, it would really affect our relationship, you know, kind of thing. And it'd be very difficult then for me to, to move past that. I, I think for, um, for our conversation, the more abused somebody is, the less they trust. And, uh, we all have done, I bet you, some level of marriage counseling, uh, either personally or with somebody else. And we would look and say, yeah, when a husband or a wife is abused or sexually abused or physically or emotionally abused, that shows up in their present relationship. That past shows up in their present relationship. So when you think about racial issues, you're talking about a race of generations of abuse. Uh, and then when that that we can say well they're burning a store down i'm like right the abused people often respond in dysfunctional ways or unhealthy ways uh when your wife does that you love her so you try to work your way through that to understand why she's metaphorically burning a store down in your marriage and when we're trying to do that in a community or in a culture like, should you be burning a sword out? Of course not. Uh -huh. But what what is the met? Don't throw the message out with with the reaction. There's what because you would we would also say like uh, healthy people don't react that way. I'm like right. So where's the unhealth and where did it come from? And because there are anarch. We've talked about this before. There are anarchists, and that's another conversation. And then there's the normal person who's saying, I'm not being listened to. Nobody will, will hear me. You will not even hear my story or function within it. And, and they break. And when you put that into personal relationships, if you love that person, if my wife breaks or one of my children breaks, I'm going to push through like with my kids. Honey, why are you acting this way what is wrong with you is what i'm gonna i did this just the other night what's wrong bud what you're not being yourself right well there was a breakup and he's very upset and sad and well for me to do that with a brother or sister in christ or in our conversation across racial lines i would i would look and say what why are you why are you not acting in alignment with christ right now Huh. What, what is the pain that's going on? I think that would be a healthy Christ-like response to someone's action, right? 
because the, that has been broken. If I, I think what the scripture would say, if I can, if I see someone who's fallen, if I can with gentleness and respect seek to restore. Huh. So instead of me reacting against your reaction, if somebody is godly in here, <laughs> it can create the bridge to probably talk about the real issues and, and things, right? So that I that vulnerability, that instead of me being defensive and protective, you know, that go cover myself with a fig leaf. Um, I just think it's massive to, to even talk about the things that really need talked about with it. Now, Jeff, I think you're hitting that all on the head. We're coming up on an hour. So let me say this for, for the future and for what we probably ought to talk about. Self-protection versus vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Self-protection, Dan Allender, a Christian psychologist once said in our church, self-protection is sin. We are protecting ourselves in certain ways. And when we talk about different, the two different races, we're talking about whites protecting themselves from their, in their power structures. They want to control, hold the power. And we're talking about blacks who have been so vulnerable that now we don't almost, we don't trust anybody, hardly even ourselves. When you've been abused over and over and over again, how do we uh, let down our self-protection in order enough to even have a relationship? That's the reason there's an excellent book called uh, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Because when you've been abused over and over again, how are you going to respond to that? And then get, uh, get more abuse for being abused. You shouldn't act that way. Well, after 402 years of this, it might have an impact upon how you act. So self-protection versus love versus vulnerability. Got it. Well, hey, Dr. Hawk, I want to give you the last word. You were our guest today. You came on with us, and we greatly appreciate it. So I want to give you um, kind of a, a final thought to close us out with. Thank you. This, is, this has been just so, so instructive for me, and I'm, I'm really, really resonating with a lot of what's been said here. I, uh, I'd like to add one more thing, if I may. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for 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 this reconciliation, love, trust to move forward, um, abusers need to be able to realize and admit that they're abusers. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, they're going to continue to be a danger to themselves and to each other, and nothing's going to nothing's going to move forward. So we've been talking about the work. You know, it, it seems to me. I mean, so you've got a marriage, and you've got an abusive husband. And the wife is 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 acting out of all this hurt because she's been, you know, she's been loving and so on and so forth. Um, you know, there's there's got to be on the part of the abusive husband. Uh, you've got to bring that individual to a point where um, he he is going to to recognize that he and that's a hard hard thing. We, yeah. we know that the people who are in power and in control. Uh, they don't want to be confronted with their delusion because they're acting out of their own set of pain and fear and vulnerability. So just wanted to peg that at some point. Um, you know, th th there's, there's hard work to be done 
on on both ends because and 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 really we're seeing this in, in white America right now with this upsurge in violence and hate crimes and you know insurrection and nationalism and all of that um, not to not not to muddy the waters at all but uh, muddy them it's all right that's what we're no, here for this is this is I the intersection <laughs> it's all right you can muddy them because here's the thing and it takes me to the scripture that talks about if we confess our faults right if we admit mm -hmm. to who we are and what we've done then that's the goodness of god right he cleanses us you know he restores us he replenishes us but we first have to do something such as the abuser, right? The abuser has to acknowledge or admit, hey man, I'm an abuser, right? This is this is the role that I played. And that's a part of not just doing the work, but that may be the beginning of the work starting, right? No, that's good, man. Right. What can, I do, man. Right? What can Absolutely. I do to make it right comes comes after that. Yep. I think Absolutely. it I love I love what you're saying there. And and uh, it's never the evil one is never the devil that exposes sin. Mm. He hides it. Come on now. The fruitless deeds of darkness are brought into the light so that they can be dealt with by the light of Christ and the truth of scripture. Yes. So when, when sin comes to the surface, when wrongs come to the surface, that's not, that's not a spiritual warfare and the devil winning. That's the Lord. Uh, yes. bringing justice, bringing things to the light so they can be dealt with correctly. And I, I would just say like to uh, my pastor colleagues, especially having to wrestle with ra racial reconciliation issues in your church is good. That is the Lord. He's bringing healing. He's bringing up. I didn't say it was easy. And mm -hmm. I didn't even say that we're going to do it perfectly. I'm, that's not going to happen. It's impossible imperfect people trying to live out a perfect truth that's why we all live under god's grace but this being on the agenda so to say and being brought to the surface of our culture is not the culture deteriorating mm. that that's the lord bringing something up that that needs to be dealt with come on uh, now because the devil hides sin if he can come hide on. it he can kill you with it if you bring it into the light, the Lord can deal with it and you can have healing and hope from it. So good word. Good word. Good word. Bishop's over shaking his head and biting his lip. Come on now. Good <laughs> stuff. Good stuff. Hey, th and this is what we can say. At the end of every intersection, there's also light at the tunnel. But we got to be willing to go down the intersection to deal with some of these things that we've been talking about here today. Man, brothers, thank you so much for your insight, for your input, for your vulnerability to talk about this, because it's not always easy. Um, it's hard. It causes us to go to some tough and some rough places. But we appreciate you being in the intersection with us today and venturing in some of those messy places. So, Dr. Hawk, thank you again, brother, for your time, for your wisdom, and for your insight, man. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listening audience, thank you so much for being with us as we continue to navigate all the intersections of our lives. And please, you can follow us and you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Skechers, Spotify, or YouTube to always be engaging with here on the intersection. And we would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about or discussed, whether it be for myself, Bishop Johnson, Pastor Jeff Bogue, or even today for Dr. Hawk, you can email us at intersection 
at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. And so, hey, until next time, we look forward to seeing you and meeting you at the intersection. Thank you so much for being with us. And brothers, thank you so much for your time.